Hey, it's the Weather Channel podcast. I'm Ari Sarsalari, a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. We've got Dina Knightley also. She's a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. Uh, We're in Atlanta, but there was a big tornado outbreak on Sunday. Okay, so we're recording this on Monday, March 4th. We're talking about March 3rd here. We had a big old tornado outbreak in the southeast including one uh, really big tornado. It looks to have been the most significant one. It was in Lee County, Alabama, and uh, then kind of came across the border, probably was on the ground nonstop for the whole, whatever it was, 40 or 50 miles. The Weather Service is still doing some surveys. But I wanted to bring in somebody who has been actually in Beauregard, which is one of the towns that was hit the most hard. They had a lot of fatalities. Um, uh, We can report. As of latest check, as we're recording this podcast, there are 23 deaths. The number is, you know, could possibly change. But let's bring in storm tracker Brandon Clement. He uh, was out on uh, Sunday, and you, you know, you you were telling me before we started the podcast that you didn't get right into that uh, really big tornado that they had in Lee County, Alabama. You showed up a little bit late to it, but you're seeing some of the damage from it. I mean, just explain what it looks like there. I am. I actually set up as my initial target in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, and then the supercells fired farther south into uh, southern Alabama. And uh, when they went tornado warned, I started dropping south towards those. And the storm that formed near Montgomery, it went tornado warned early, but it wasn't very impressive on radar for quite some time. But then all of a sudden it wrapped up, and you could see the debris signatures on radar. So at that time, I was uh, crossing the river into Georgia, and I started making my way back north and came up on the north side of Columbus. Uh, right as I was coming in to intercept the tornado, uh, the power was already out in the area, and all the traffic, all the intersections, of course, were, were gridlocked, so I, I couldn't make it. Uh, came in right behind it. There was already damage across the, the highway there. It wasn't too significant, but there was damage, some uh, you know, trees down, power lines down, stuff like that. And then a few minutes later, saw where it hit Talbotton, Georgia, and had a huge debris spike as it went over the town. So I went over to Talbotton and I shot the drone video there yesterday with all the uh, cars slipped and homes completely destroyed. And then started working my way back uh, towards Columbus and across the river back in Alabama and eventually here to Beauregard. Uh, so I've seen a whole, a, a quite a bit of the, the damage. I can't say I've seen it all, but I've seen a whole lot of it. I hit a lot of the back roads and, and checking out the damage in a lot of different spots. But definitely Beauregard is, is the most dramatic when it comes to the damage. Uh, a lot of mobile homes hit, and uh, at the time it came through here, it looks to be at least a half mile wide. And I'd be very surprised if, if they don't go EF4 on this thing. I know it's preliminary EF3, but I'd be very surprised if it's not a 4. Uh, see signs of like debarking on trees. Uh, I'm sitting here looking, right as I speak to you now, I'm sitting here looking at a, fra- uh, a trailer frame that's wrapped around a tree about 30 feet up, just completely bent around it um, in, in complete devastation, particularly on the, the, the County Road 38 and Highway 51. Uh, area that's where most of the fatalities came in that's where i shot drone video this morning of it it's just completely leveled not a tree left standing and wide swaths of, of significant damage wow brandon when you were coming back from columbus georgia you were heading back toward the tornado did you run into it or did you see the da- did you just run into damage no no i was uh when the tornado crossed the north side of columbus it was uh, moving almost due east so I came behind it into Talbot in Georgia, and then I turned around and backtracked west just along the damage path 
uh, at that point, the tornado was moving at, at 65, 70 miles an hour and had nothing but, you know, back roads to try and keep up with it. It's just not possible. So I, I, I just, you know, abandoned the chase at that point and just wanted to focus on the damage in the past because I knew it was significant. Brandon, I know you were probably following this setup really closely over the past couple of days. You know, life has changed for me a little bit over the last year and a half or so. I've got an 18-month-old kid, so when I'm not at work, like over the weekend, I'm not following the severe weather as closely as I usually do. But when I remember, I left work Friday thinking that, yeah, this is probably going to look more like a squall line setup, maybe a couple of uh, embedded spin-ups with a couple of tornadoes possible. And then, you know, I remember just seeing my phone blow up yesterday and looking at some of these tornado signatures. It looked like we had a lot of you know, discrete supercells. Um, you know, what really changed with the setup there that allowed for that? Well, you know, I was thinking the same thing you were. The winds were very veered at the surface. I mean, they're southwest, and there wasn't a whole lot of change in direction with height. You know, we talk about wind shear. It was all speed-driven shear, and there was plenty of speed shear. It's just uh, usually you don't see that southwest surface wind and don't associate it with violent tornadoes. But what ended up happening here yesterday is you can see right along the boundary, uh, just from the Columbus to Montgomery area, uh, it's kind of an effective boundary setup, and the winds were able to back, get more southeast and easterly surface winds right along that area, and it creates, uh, not only do you have the speed shear then, but you have the directional shear, and when you start adding the directional shear to that type of uh, that type of speed shear and just a little bit of instability is all it takes, and once that storm got rooted along that boundary, it's just, it was it was no stopping it. Wow, because I, I read some um, that it, the dew points were up in the 60s. Yeah, dew points are uh, mid-60s up in this area. Uh, it's not one of those big high instability days like you see in the plains where you have uh, just this massive amount of energy in the atmosphere. It was just enough, and you had, uh, you had good pressure falls in the area, uh, allowing for storms to develop, good lift. You had everything in place. It wasn't a whole lot of instability, but it was a significant amount of shear. And, and it's, it's pretty typical at Dixie, especially early in the year or, or wintertime or late fall. You'll see these uh, low instability, high shear type, type days, and they, they're definitely capable of producing violent tornadoes. So, you know, one thing I noticed from the video of this tornado is that it was really big. I mean, I know you said you didn't come up on it while it was going on, but I'm sure you've seen some of the video. And there's one particular video, I think, what is it, Crossing 280 or something, Dina? Yeah. Yeah, where... It's right, right just west of Columbus, Georgia. I'm trying to think what the exact uh, road is. But either way, yeah, you US see the tornado crossing the road. Yeah, it's US 280. Um, and it is just taking forever to cross the road. You see the left side of the tornado. It's moving right to left. And it's just all tornado there for, like, 20, 30 seconds. I mean, the weather service was... Um, estimating probably a half mile wide i'm looking at it and i'm thinking geez it, it almost looks like it might even be more than that and when you see some of the aerials i mean some of those aerials honestly remind me of um april 27 2011 i know that this was not as big of a tornado as some of those were but you know i'm just trying to think the last time in my head where i've seen aerials with that much uh just concentrated pure tree damage that was so remarkable yeah, it's it's hard. It's not many you can compare it to. When you start talking about this EF three, EF four, high end threes, and and the EF four type type damage path, uh, it's just hard to compare, especially when talking about aerial video that that, that shows you know half mile plus wide um, areas. And I, it, the path is really long, and I've been through a lot of the, the path, so it's not all you know a half mile wide EF four or through high end three just grinding down the whole way there are spots where there's just a few trees down as weak small 
you know, small path uh, areas, but then there's there's areas where it pulsed up. Uh, one of the remarkable things about this tornado is, is how strong it got and how weak it got and how quickly it cycled uh, while it stayed on the ground. Normally you'll see like a, a cyclic tornado will kick up and then you'll see another tornado drop a little later. But this one is, uh, it looks to be a steady path for at least a considerable part of that, that path. Now on the, uh, there's another path that goes almost parallel with this one that came from a second storm. So when you're driving through, it looks almost like a satellite tornado because the paths are so close in some areas. Wow. Have you run into a lot of people? Um, I know there were a lot of fatalities with the storms, but um, have you run into people who've been injured? I mean, even where do they go? Well, unfortunately, last night uh, we were, you know, shooting some damage video and first responders came out and uh, pulled a, a lady out in a body bag. So uh, oh, one of the things you just hate witnessing, it, it's horrible. Uh, it, you know, this morning I'm talking to another person here. Uh, tells us about there's three or two trailers sitting side by side here. One of them, the one that the frames wrapped around the tree, I was telling you about the guy that was inside uh, was on the couch. He was thrown a few hundred feet into the woods. Uh, he managed to get up, go check on his father and mother who was in the, another trailer that was our modular home, and it's just completely gone. He means no evidence of it. And all that's left is a pool in the ground. Um, but he found them a few hundred feet away behind a pickup truck, which was buried in rubble um, from from the other trailer. Uh, it's, it's just unbelievable that they survived. Uh, now, one of the, the the father did have broken bones and some cuts and, and beat up pretty bad, but it's still remarkable they survived. But that's just one little spot. Now, off of County Road, County Road 38, there's a whole lot more homes, a lot, a lot more areas, a lot more homes that got hit, a lot more devastation there. Uh, and that's where a lot of the fatalities occurred. Uh, in that area, I, I have not spoken to anybody when I got in there late last night. It was uh, very much vacated. Uh, this morning, people are just starting to get out. I'm sure they had a really long night. So uh, where they're staying, I, you know, I have no idea. I know that a couple shelters have been set up. I don't know if they've been utilizing them. Um, like I said, when I got here, it was almost dark, and I was concentrating on, on you know, tracking the path back and, and seeing where the worst hit areas were. And this morning, we got out immediately to try and get drone video uh, of the worst hit areas, and now we're just, just now starting to be able to talk to people. So I know that there has been a lot of search and rescue that's going on again today, but, you know, one thing that I noticed was that they had to halt the search and rescue uh, efforts at some point after it got dark because they said it was too dangerous. What exactly was it that was too dangerous? I think people don't understand what these, um, you know, post-tornado scenes are like in person. Well, that, that, metal, that metal frame I've referred to a couple times here, or steel frame, that's wrapped around the tree. Uh, all it takes is the wind to blow and that, that frame to fall. And that's you know, a couple thousand pounds falling on somebody and killing them. Uh, when you have homes that are partially collapsed, all it takes is a little breeze or uh, one board to be moved the wrong way and the roof can collapse. Then you've got debris, uh, gas leaks, water leaks. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff in the debris. Uh, when you don't have enough light to see it, you step on all types of uh, big nails. It, it's a lot of stuff to it. Uh, when they went through last night and had to quit, it was probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock before they finally called to quit. But not only is it too dangerous, but at some point, you know, first responders need a break and they need to recoup, regroup, and then get out early in the morning. They'll be a lot more effective rested with daylight. So it's a combination of things that, that, that just make it, I'm not going to say impossible, but uh, make it over strenuous to the point that they're less effective. 
Because the one question I had, too, is you said you came in right before dark. I'm worried this could have been even worse. I mean, it's already bad, but it could have been worse if it was after dark and people were asleep. Do you think they got a decent amount of warm time? Yes, the lead time was fantastic, despite the storm speeds. Uh, this thing was warned, I think it was warned on the south side of Montgomery. Uh, so, I mean, it was warned for, I'd say, probably an hour before it got here. Uh, the problem is it, it wasn't producing uh, in Montgomery. So when it, it actually did start producing a tornado, the lead time wasn't as great. Uh, people did try to take shelter, but there's only so many places you can go. And when a, a tornado that's a half mile wide is barreling down to 65 miles an hour, it, it does not make things easy. Uh, so, you know, there's always you can always look back in hindsight and say this could have been this could have been done better, and hopefully. Uh, you know, we can always learn from, from these types of events and make improvements to our, our warning system. But uh, the warning time was definitely there. Um, you know, a lot of people I've talked to in prior tornadoes say, you know, they hear the, the tornado warnings all the time but never actually see the tornado and don't take it serious. So uh, that's another thing that happened in 2011, April 27, 2011 tornadoes. They did a study that people just weren't heeding the warnings because there were too many false uh, false alarms. Uh, and it just is little boy that cried wolf. And when that wolf finally comes, nobody believes it. And that wolf came here last night. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, they have changed a lot of things since 2011. There's been a lot of, you know, social science research and all that kind of stuff. And you even saw it in some of these warnings that we had on Sunday with, uh, with, with this most recent outbreak, you know, like you said, there was, there was decent warning time. And I think the wording in a lot of the warnings were really good. Obviously, we had situations where we had debris signatures on radar. We had ground confirmation of tornadoes. And when that's the case, the Weather Service really ramps up the wording. You start to get into the tornado emergencies and all that kind of stuff. It's like, what else can you really do? I think at the end of the day, this is a very tragic situation. But when you have an EF3 plus tornado that goes through an area where you have a lot of mobile homes and there's not many shelters and that type of stuff, there's only so much lead time you give. And I think just, you know, it's very tough to, to accept but it's going to be tough to not have fatalities in those situations sometimes. Listen, Brandon, we got to get going, and I know you're probably very busy too, but thank you so much for taking some time to talk yes, to us. You. And stay safe while you're out there, all right, brother? Well, thank you both for having me. I will do.